not one that um, I want to even be talking about. I'd rather be talking about a lot of other things than what I'm going to talk about with you tonight. But I feel as though we, we, I, need to bring this, I need to bring this message out regardless of how it makes me feel or how uncomfortable it makes me feel that God still wants this message to go out. And, and for some of us, it may be uh, just something for us, just a, a, a repeat because it's not something that we're even dealing with. But others of us, I think that it pertains to all of us in some way or fashion because of what, what's going on in the spiritual realm. Did you lose all those notes? Are we okay? Huh? Okay. Tonight, I'm going to deal with a subject matter that I, like I said, I don't want to talk about. But I believe that there are so many churches out there that don't deal with this. And I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them don't want to deal with this because it, it's uncomfortable. And as I bring this message to you tonight, I want you to know this. I don't want to bring shame on anyone because I don't know your circumstances. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what place you're in. But I do know this. This is, this is the Word of God and, and, and I'm going to bring it forward. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, It is actually reported, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, that there is sexual immorality among you. Now remember this, that... You're going to have to use your uh, finger, and that's the wrong mouse. We have two computers tonight, so we're a little bit off here. God designed sex. It was His plan. It was perfect the way He made it. And again, I don't want to bring any shame, but I want you to understand the Corinthian church, they were a gifted church. They had healing. They had gifts. They were a powerhouse at their time, even in the midst of, of, of the world, that they, the, the city that they were dwelling within. But we see from Scripture here that they were tolerant of sin and tolerant of immorality, stating that grace will cover everything. Grace does, should do this in our lives. Grace should empower right living. Grace should empower righteous living in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. The term sexually, sexual immorality is an ancient Greek word, pornea. And it speaks of all kinds of sexual activity, but all having to do with outside of the marriage. It even includes homosexuality. Originally, the word pornea only applied to prostitutes before the New Testament times, but in the Jewish community, it was used to refer to anything outside of extramarital sex, sex homosexuality, any kind of sex act that was outside the confines of what God had listed for us. Pornea is so often appears in the New Testament sinless. When they go through the list of sins, it is always the first sin. Not because the Christians had a hang-up, but because the Greek culture was so much uh, in contrast to what the Bible was saying, what Jesus had taught them. There was a drag, there was a, they clashed at this point. Sexual immorality was a fact of life for the common Greek culture. But it wasn't for the followers of Christ. The last part of that verse, it says, actually there have been important among you sexual immorality. The man... Is sleeping with his father. No, excuse me. <laughs> the man is sleeping with his wife's father. Okay. Still get it wrong? 
Father's wife. Okay. <laughs> I want to make sure you guys got it. <laughs> See, you guys are listening. In the, in the New American Standard Bible, it says, that man has a relationship with his father's wife. And the word has means an ongoing. That word has means it wasn't just a one-time occurrence, but it was something that was happening on a regular basis. The, word, the verb has there means to have, hold, possess, to wear like a garment. So this wasn't somebody in the church that was just had a, a one-time incident, but they were practicing, they were living in this life. And the reaction to the Corinthian church was this, in verse 2, And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put, on, put, your, put, out your, put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? Instead of, of mourning this situation, the Corinthian church was actually kind of proud of it. They, were, they weren't mourning this. They were, they were looking at it as though, well, look what we've done. Look, we're accepting of this man. They seemed to have taken sin very lightly. They should have put this man out of fellowship who has been doing this. Clearly, this was Paul's solution to the problem. To take this notoriously unrepentant man from the protection of the fellowship of God's people and put him out. How could such a thing be done? Because this sounds unmerciful. If we did this today, I was reading a, a church up in, up in Washington. The pastor, he had removed a man from his congregation that was having an extramarital affair with some other woman in the congregation. And the outcry against him was, was, was unbelievable. Because he was doing exactly what the Bible had told him to do. And now he's ridiculed for it. Our reaction today is the same thing. In churches today, we don't want to deal with sexual immorality. We don't want to deal with sin. But God is calling us to a sanctified mercy. If there's somebody burning in a building, and you look in the building and you can see him in there, are you going to say, well, he looks okay to me right now? Or are you going to rush in? Are you going to drag him out? Jim, you know what I'm talking about. I'll, I'll guarantee you, when you're in there, a fireman know because when you go in there to drag someone out, it's usually not the most pleasant experience because you're going to grab them by whatever you can, hair, back of the collar. You're going to drag them out to safety. It's the same thing when a, when a vehicle's burning. You drag them out any way they can. You drag them out the window. They may get cut because of the glass, but you know what? You want to get them out of there. Sanctified mercy. Mercy doesn't want... We, we don't want to confront sin. The approval of the lifestyle of sin in the church is leaven. You've heard that talked about in the Bible. Today, we act... We act just like the Corinthian church. We tell the people, just do the best you can. Work on it. It'll be okay. Shack up for a while. Test things out. Just let the grace of God work here. Jesus said it like this, if your hand or eye offend you, cut it off. That sounds drastically different than what we preach in our churches today. He said this, it's so important for you to enter the kingdom of God that I don't care if you go there without a hand or an eye. It's more important for you to get to heaven. 
And if your eye, of, if your eye is offending you, if your, your hand is offending you, get rid of it, cut it off, because it is more important for you to spend eternity in heaven than go into heaven without that arm or leg. But not today. We say, do your best. Well, I'm having a little difficulty in this area. Okay, well, just keep doing the best you can. I want to I I I live with this woman for just a little while because I'm, I'm just not sure it's going to work out. So, maybe I, you know, I've been already, I've been divorced one time and I don't want it to happen again. So, you know, if I move in with her, we can test things out and we can see how it's going to work. This flies in the face of what 1 Corinthians 5 is saying to us. In fact, Hebrews 10.26 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, there is no sacrifice for sins left. I preached a message on this some time back, and I said that. I said, you know what? Do you know what kind of sins can't be forgiven? Deliberate sins. In fact, the, the next scripture right after that says, the only thing left for them is, 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 is eternal torment. Paul says, remove him. Take him out of your midst. The, Corinthian church, the, Corinthian, the city of Corinth was known for sexual immorality. This is how they would talk. Mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure. Concubines for the daily care of our bodies. But wives are there just for bearing children. More than anything, the, Christian, the Corinthian Christians were probably allowing this in the name of tolerance. Isn't that what we, we, we hear about all the time today? They're probably just saying to themselves, look how loving we are. That's what the Corinthian church is probably they're saying. Look at us. You know, this guy, yeah, I mean, yeah, he deserves this. But you know what? Look at how, look how good we're being. We're, we're accepting of him. We're tolerant of him. We've overlooked his sin. We don't want to be judging him. Because doesn't the Bible talk about judging? So maybe we better, we can't judge this man. We're open-minded. Look how open-minded we are. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 7, judge lest you be judged? So we're just being careful. We're, we're following the Scripture. Paul says this in verse 3. He says, For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. Hmm. Was he disobeying what, what Jesus had said in Matthew 7? No, Paul was not being disobedient in the slightest way. Jesus commanded, he says, don't judge others by the same standard on which you want to be judged. Paul was very comfortable being judged on this right here because he knew where he stood on it. Sexual immorality had no place in his life. I like what I, I heard a commentary one time about the woman in, when Elijah would pass by. And remember, he would, he would go and stay at the, the woman's house. And I, I remember one commentary said about her, about, said, what, what did she understand? What did she see about him that made him so different than every other man or every other prophet of God at the time? That when he'd pass by, and, and, and the commentator said this, because he wouldn't even look at her. He never gave her a glance. He never gave her an eye. He never gave her any reason to believe he was anything but a man of God. He didn't look at her as though, ah, I wonder if I could have that. How many times, men, do we do that? Married men. 
God is saying, don't. Get rid of it in your life. If your eye is going to offend you, pluck it out. That's what Jesus said. That's how important it is for us to get into the kingdom of God. Paul said it this. He says, I'm perfectly willing to apply the same standards to myself as I'm applying to the Corinthian church. Some judgment is permitted. Christians are not to judge one another's motives or hearts, but we are certainly expected to judge, be honest about people's conduct. Sin is the same, isn't it? No, it's not. Sexual sin is very much different than all the other sins. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are on the outside of his body, but whoever commits the sin sexually sins against their own body. This husband and wife, sex is combined to that marriage right there. That's the only place. That's how God created. He created us in His image. And you know, He gave us the, the power to procreate. We're made in His image. But you know, today in churches we say, oh... Just do the best you can. I know you got to struggle in that area. Or to the, to those that are who've come out of the homosexual lifestyle, you you were just born that way. You can't help it. God has a one step plan out of darkness into His glorious light. Out of darkness into His glorious light. Verse 5 says this, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that this spirit, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Putting him outside of the church, into the world, into the devil's domain. I was talking to somebody about this this last couple weeks. They said to me, said, Greg, I don't understand. You know, you asked this person not to come back because of there's something that was going on in their life. And you know what? It just seems like you're judging them. And I said, I am judging them. What's obvious is right here. You know, I was, I was talking to, uh, to Lisa and Henry this week, and they said, you know, people come into their church, and they said, well, you know what? I want to I sing in the choir. Lisa, I would like to sing with you. I'd like to worship with you. And they come in with alcohol in their breath after being drunk the night before, and then they wonder why. They say, you know what? No, I can't let you do that. You can't spend all the night, all evening at the Springville Inn bar and then expect to come into church and say, I'm ready to worship. It doesn't work that way. God is calling us. I have an obligation. We have an obligation as leadership in this church. We have an obligation as the people of this church. You have an obligation in the church that you're in. If there is sin going on and you're allowing it, you are just as guilty. Because you know who Paul was upset with here? He wasn't that upset with the man as he was the church. That's the hard part about all this. This was about the church. This man being put out was for his own good, but, but it was really because the church wasn't doing what they're supposed to do, acting like they're supposed to act. Paul's command would serve important purpose to remove any false feelings of security in the sinning man because he, wanted, he didn't want to just ignore the sin. He wanted to bring it out. If he refused to face his sin, the church must face it for him. For this sake, and for, for their sake, and for his sake. You know, the church has begun to look more like the city than the city reflecting what the church looks like. Our churches reflect just what our communities look like. Our churches are full of drunks. 
We are going to be judged. Let me let, let me let you know this right now. As a church body, as a nation, we are judged for the sin that our nation commits. We are judged for the sin that our church commits. There's churches today that smoke marijuana. I know of a pastor who promotes sm- cigar smoking. It's all from the earth. We get drunk like the world. We divorce just like the world. Our percentages aren't any different than the world's. God never intended it to be this way. The church should be affecting the city instead of the city affecting the church. We begin to resemble and look like the city. But we're supposed to resemble and look like Christ. We're supposed to look like the bride of Christ. We should be infiltrating the the city that we live in, and it should become looking more and more like us. But instead, we look more and more like the city. I love grace. But grace should empower righteousness. I've heard messages all week. I listen to someone on TV and they want to preach on grace. And I love grace. Believe me. Grace, but you know what? Grace is for the empowering of righteousness. Grace should, should cause our heart to want to become more like Christ. Grace is not there just to cover all these things up. He says if we deliberately keep on sinning, there is no sacrifice left. We model something that is exportable. We model something that is transferable. We model something that can be released and spread into the community. The world is looking at the the very verse that says, the two shall become one flesh. When a marriage works, it's, it's, it's celebration, it's endurity, it's purpose, it's history, it's purifying effect. It produces godly offspring. We begin to produce what God has created within us. That's that creative aspect. When, when marriage is working properly, we produce what we are, another godly marriage. But instead, our churches, we produce exactly what we are, just another one of what we are, and it looks terrible, and it looks, looks worse than it did the year before. The purpose of putting this man outside was for spiritual protection for the community of the church, and also... For the destruction of his flesh. Repentance. That is the ultimate goal. As Christians, we do not battle with the flesh because the old man is dead. We, we do continually battle with the flesh because the old man wants to continually rise up. The flesh lives on having been educated in the sin by the old man, but God wants us to rise up in the new man. Ultimately, Paul was concerned about the internal destiny of this man. He wasn't talking about wanting to kill him physically. He wasn't even wanting to put him out for punishment. He was wanting to, he put, he said, just put him out because you know what? He wants him to come back to Christ. Verse 5 says, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. The goal is always repentance. Worldly sorrow produces regret. Godly sorrow produces repentance. All discipline in the church and carried out with this attitude of restoration, not condemnation. Now some of you might say, well, you know what, Greg, it kind of feels kind of condemning today. Well, it may just be the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that you're mistaking. Because the convicting power of the Holy Spirit can sometimes make us feel like, well, you know, I don't feel so good right now. That's good. That's godly sorrow bringing repentance. Worldly sorrow brings regret. 
I'm not saying this tonight to shame any of us. But I want us to understand. And Paul said it like this in Thessalonians. He says, If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Church discipline is not a group of pious policemen out to catch a criminal. Rather, it is a group of broken-hearted brothers and sisters seeking to restore an erring member of their family. Some say, you know what, this, this excommunication, this disfellowshipping, it feels, it feels harsh. It is harsh, I'll be honest with you. It is. It's the hardest thing to do when someone says, hey Greg, I want to I be a part of something, I want to do this, and, and I have to say, you know what, but this is going on in your life and I can't allow you to do that. Why do I say that? Because you know, a young lady came to me this week and she says, you know, I see so and so, and they go to church and they do all these things, but they're, they're living with this other woman. And I don't understand, I thought he was a godly man. You have an effect on those around you. You have a responsibility. I've said it before, a glass of wine may be perfectly fine, but a glass of wine may also lead someone right to hell because, you know what, because you're a stumbling block to them. It may be the very same thing right here. You know what, your life, because of who you've proclaimed to be in Christ, and then you set yourself up and say, you know what, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm not going to live in the world anymore. And yet you, you see as close as you can get to the edge and say, you know what, I'm just going to stay right over here, get off that fence. I told this person that was confronting me this, this week about this, I said, I said, the Bible says clearly that you, you hand them over to Satan. And he said, well, if you do that, then won't Satan just have them? I said, he's already got them. <laughs> Jesus said it like this, I would rather you be hot or cold instead of lukewarm. Lukewarm is what God says, I'm going to spew out of my mouth. If we walk in lukewarmness, I, it would be better that you're just cold. That's what Jesus said about it. I know that sounds harsh. Now let me say this. I'm not saying to those of you who are coming to church and you're saying to yourself, you know what, I'm in a seeker mode right now. I'm not proclaiming anything at this moment, but I'm in a seeker mode. I'm, I'm looking to see what's real. I want to find out what God... So I want you to know right now that I'm not saying, okay, I'm going to cast every one of you out of, out of church because you're all sinners. Because we all sin. I said that this week. Someone quoted it to me this week when I saw them on the, on the road. They said, what did you say Sunday? You said, we sin, but we don't walk in sin. I don't practice sin. I practice godliness. I practice holiness. I practice righteousness. Am I going to fail? Yes, but I keep my eyes upon the cross. I keep walking towards the cross. Verse 6 says, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch? I was going to I, I forgot to do it tonight. I was going to have a glass of water and I was going to put a pinch of dirt in it. Just a pinch. Nothing compared to the amount of water that's in that glass. And ask you, how many of you want to drink it? If I went out and I got some horse manure out of my, my field and I pinched it off in that water, would you want to have a drink of it? It's only like probably one hundredth of what's in that water there. 
But that's what Paul's saying about the church. When we allow this in our lives, when we allow this in our church, when we allow this in our body, and I'm not just talking about sexual sin because he's going to see here, he, he refers to all the sin. He, he refers to more things than, than just this. But what he's saying is, don't allow that leaven. Don't allow that little bit to ruin that glass of water. God's calling us to purity. He's calling us to love one another, but love one another in godliness and in merciful way that He's called us to do it. And He's called us to also look at these things and say, hey, what's going on here? Salvation in sin is not possible. Salvation in sin is not possible. It must always be salvation from sin. Does that mean perfection? No. Well, if I stay close to Him, I've, I've heard guys say this about their, their girlfriends. Well, maybe I can be a good influence on them. Someone in town not too long ago said, you know, Greg, before Ignite started, I was, I was very content. I could go to the bar and I could have a drink and go to church and I never felt anything. But now that Ignite's coming around, I said, now it's just, it's, it makes me feel guilty and, and, I, and I, just, I can't live with it. And then they said to me, they said, you know what? I feel as though God's calling me to a bar ministry. I said, fine, go have a bar ministry. Don't drink. They brought up someone else to me. They said, you know, so-and-so who comes with us here to, to Ignite. They said, you know, over where she lives over in, in Nevada, she has a ministry to the prostitutes. I said, I love it. She's not participating with them, is she? No. See, that's the difference. We want to get as close as we can to the world, act like the world, look like the world, and then we wonder why our churches look like the city and they don't look like the godliness that we're supposed to have. I'm going to close with this. I, in verse 9 it says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But I am writing you this to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister in Christ but is sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. The word says there, but now I am writing to you that you must not associate. It says that word not associate means keeping company, mixed relationship, mingling. He goes on to say that these kind of people, if they're in your, if they're in your church, don't have anything to do with them. If you have a person that is, is covetedness, who constantly wants more, they can never get enough, and they'll do anything it takes to get more, he's saying, don't have anything to do with them. He's saying the person that is an extortioner, a swindler, who will, who will do anything it takes, he'll say anything he has to say to get what he wants. He says, don't have anything to do with him if he says he's a brother. The slanderer, the person who is a character assassin, don't have anything to do with them. He says, we don't have any business judging the world on the outside. The judgment comes to the house of God. You know what? That's why Jesus could go eat with sinners. That's why Jesus could go eat with tax collectors. Because He didn't have to judge them. But the church... You know, who were the ones that he constantly had to confront? The Pharisees. 
I've got it all together. The ones that said they were Christians. I want you guys to understand today, I am not talking, I don't, wanna, I don't want anybody to go away going, you know what, I, I, I don't want you to feel harmed because I don't know any of your circumstances. This message tonight is not for anyone, any, anyone in particular. I want you to know that. I have nobody in mind because I don't know, if, I look across here and I see godly people. But I want you to know this, that God had this message for, for someone and I believe He has this message for us as a church body, as a, as a group of believers. And I want those, because some of people have asked me, said, well, you know, Greg, why, why are you doing this? Why did, you, why did you have that person not come because of what they were doing? And I said, here, you know what? I had went to them one-on-one. I confronted it. I, they continued to do it. I went to the person and I said, listen, you need to repent. You need to stop this. They continued to do it. I said, you know what? You're, you're going to be leading other people down the wrong path. And they continued doing it. And then, and then as, as, as we as, as a congregation, sometimes we look and we go, well, man, Greg, it seemed kind of harsh what you did there. No, I gave them every opportunity over and over again. It's just like Ron and I in our business. I will tell you right now, that man, if you come to the Lord, if you get right with God, if you're living right where you're supposed to, I don't care what you've did in the past. You know what? You're going to walk in forgiveness. Isn't that right, Nelson? Isn't that right, Don Swan? She's not here tonight, but I will tell you that. There will be those that say, oh, I don't, I don't know if I can believe it. You know, I don't know if, if uh, what I say last week, a zebra can't change his stripes, but I was supposed to say a tiger can't change his stripes. But I will tell you this, as you know from, the, 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 from my wife's testimony last week, what God took her out of. God took her out of the pit. She had lost her children. She had lost everything in her life. She was ready to quit. If you didn't hear that message, I encourage you to get that message because it will, it, it's, it's, it will shake you to your core. But know this, that the woman that stands before you today said, you know what, I have to make a determination in my mind. I've got to stop living according to the flesh. I've got to start living for God. I've got to put aside my own thoughts, what I want to do, what makes me happy. But I've got to make Him Lord of my life. And when you do that, and when you do that and you begin to walk in that, that's when you're going to see that miraculous change in your life. You're going to see things change in your life. And I'll tell you this, and if you're still struggling after that, then you know what? I want you to come see my wife. I want you to come see me. I want you to come see our leadership. Because I'll tell you what, I will, cry, I will pray with you. I will fast with you. Notice I said, I'm not going to do it for you, but I will do it with you. I will fast for you. I will pray with you. I will do whatever it takes to get you released from that bondage, whatever it may be. If it's alcohol, if it's drugs, if it's prescription drugs, if it's, if it's suicidal thoughts, I don't care what it is. I will pray with you. I will continue to pray with you. I will bring Scott along and we'll pray with you. I want to see us walking in freedom. I don't want us to have the excuse, well, you know what? I'm just going to be that way. No. You don't have to be that way. You don't have to walk in that place that you've walked in in the past. You can walk with God. You can walk with Him hand in hand. He can change your life. One moment with God is worth 20 years of counseling. I tell you this, our church, this church right here, we are not, we are not going to look like the, the city. The city is going to begin to look like us. Because we're going to walk in holiness. We're going to walk in godliness. 
tonight, we're going to have communion. Now, after I preach this hard, you're like, I don't even think I can, I can take communion after that. I understand. I understand. I don't have any problem with you not taking communion tonight. I've said it before. If you know that as you walk out the door tonight, you're going to continue exactly where you've been, you're going to continue in sin, then I urge you, I beg you, do not take communion. But if in your heart tonight you say, you know what, I want to live for God, I want to do things right, I may slip and fall, I may sin, but I'm not going to walk in sin, then I encourage you, you know what, you do need to take communion. You ask God to forgive you, and you go before the Lord and you say, you know what, I'm partaking of you, Christ, tonight. But I know it sounds harsh. You know, a, a pastor in town, he came to one of, the mess, one of our services one night and he said, man, after you gave that the thing about the communion, did anybody even come up? I said, we did. We had some people come up. I said, but I'll, t- I'll guarantee you there were some people that questioned the, the, in their heart. And that's what the Bible says. I want you to examine yourself tonight. I want you to look at yourself. I want you to say, God, what is it within me? What have I done? What am I doing? What am I not doing? That I am not pleasing you. I do not want to trample on the blood of the cross. I do not want to trample on God's grace. I don't care if every church in the United States continues to trample on grace. I am not going to trample on His grace. He's called us to holiness. His grace is that when we sin, He forgives us. His grace is that when we fall, He picks us up. His grace is that I don't have to go out and kill a a cow this afternoon for the forgiveness of my sins. I don't have to go grab a sheep and slaughter it so that I can go and worship. I think we forget that part. We look in this New Testament grace and we say, oh my goodness, and we forget what they had to do in the Old Testament just to achieve righteousness, how to walk in it. And today we just take it for granted because we say, Lord, forgive me, and it's done. He separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. They never touch. When we ask Him to forgive us, and then we begin to walk in that. These first two songs, during these first two songs, I'm going to ask you just to examine yourself. And if you want to partake in communion, I'm going to ask you just to come up at your own time during these first two songs and, and, and grab communion. If you feel like you just need to get to the altar, then I'm going to encourage you to go to the altar. But know this. The message tonight is this, that when we repent, when we come before God, He forgives us. He is faithful and just to forgive us. But I'm not going to walk in it. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm not going to allow you to walk in it. If you're walking in sin, I'm going to confront you. Well, the other pastors don't do that. They just pat me on the back and say, oh, good job. I'm not going to do that. I have an obligation. God is, I'm going to be judged, and I'm not going to be judged in that manner. The church is going to be judged. We as a congregation are going to be judged. I am not going to be judged by that measure. I want to walk in holiness tonight.